0: Hi, and welcome to Drawing Inspiration. I am your host, Mike Henley. Episode 54, Chasing Your Dreams, Animal Crackers, and Painting Every Day with Scott Sava. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I hope you're doing well. I have a few updates I'm going to go through, and then we'll get right into that interview with Scott, which I am sure you're going to enjoy. I wanted to mention I got a message through Twitter from Ursula, who listens to the show. She said she's listened to around 35 episodes. Which is impressive, Thank you, Ursula. And I wanted to mention it because she was just so complimentary in um, my interviewing with, with guests and the, the various art themes. The thing I found interesting is that she said she often looks at the show notes before actually listening to the episode. And I thought that was great. Um, what a great way to approach a show. And uh, you know, once again, it serves as a reminder that I do do extensive show notes, and there are quite a few show notes for this week's episode. And I encourage you to check those out. If you've got a podcast player that supports it, you should be able to click on those links and go directly to the information I've listed. And if not, you can go to drawinginspiration.fm slash 54 and pull up this episode and be able to click on the links from that uh, webpage as well. So so thank you, Ursula, and all the listeners. I love having you here. I love interviewing the guests. And I'm excited about uh, the shows I have coming up as well. So the other thing uh, I did this week, there's this website called aggie.io. Once again, I'll include a link in the show notes, but it's A-G-G-I-E dot And it is a collaborative drawing platform. So it allows you to draw on a canvas with a number of other people. So there is a free version and there is a paid version. The free version works quite quite well. And you can't talk to people as you're <laughs> creating with them. So you'd have to use another platform like Clubhouse or Instagram or something else to be able to chat with people or Discord. But it, you can create on the, same, um, on the same canvas, but you're all in different layers, and you can create multiple layers for yourself. The tools aren't vast uh, if you compare it to things like Procreate or Photoshop, but there are enough tools to create some interesting work. And I was able to spend some time, I think was with, with seven or eight people. And we were trying to create together um, and we were talking in Clubhouse at the same time. It's kind of cool. So if you know a few people and you want to collaborate together and you want to be creative and, um, you know, in this uh, day and age doing things online is sometimes the only option that we have, I would uh, recommend touching base with a few artists and uh, seeing if you can meet on Aggie.io and give it a shot and just create together. It's uh, It was kind of fun. I... I think it, it, it obviously could be better. There could be better tools. Uh, it could be better suited for iPad. But, um, you know, I did it on my iPad. I loaded it up via Chrome. And if you work on the desktop, you work within a browser. Uh, I think it probably works better in Chrome. I haven't tried it in Safari, but uh, I, I know it does work there because some people were doing that. But uh, check it out. It's, it's free, and why not, right? Uh, you can go in by yourself and give it a shot and see how it feels. So the other thing I did is I finished a couple of pieces this week. I finished the Snapping Turtle, which is just a profile sketch I did in my little moleskin sketchbook. Once again, using the uh, Graphgear 1000 as my favorite uh, pencil of choice. And this image I captured from a GoPro video that I had shot. And I really liked it because it was a nice mix of textures. And uh, I just love turtles. And so... (laughs) In fact, that was my last newsletter, is I Love Turtles. But I was able to spend some time kind of exploring the difference in the textures between uh, its jaw versus the uh, the top part uh, behind its head, as well as uh, its neck and uh, the kind of the, the really bumpy bits there as well. So this is why I draw nature so much, is because of this, and uh, because of the variance in the textures and the intricacy of, of what nature has created here. So... I, I love doing this kind of stuff, and uh, that's why I also did the next one, which is a dragonfly. And that was a good kind of exploration. That I had to be so much lighter than the turtle, especially in doing the wings and trying to show the overlap of the wings. And uh, that one I I didn't spend a whole lot of time on. It was maybe an hour on the dragonfly. But uh, once again, that was fun. So uh, what's coming up for me, I think I'm going to do some plein air now that uh, the temperature is is rising and um, I'm still going to probably have to socially distance or just hide (laughs) when I go and do this, but I'm going to be doing some plein air. I'm going to try some um, portraiture uh, via Procreate and we'll see where that's going to go, but I kind of want to explore that a little bit and see what I can do and see if I can sharpen up those uh, skills with regard to uh, doing portrait work. And of course, I'm going to do more graphite as well. I can never leave that behind. So uh, I'm always going to slot in a little bit of graphite work as well. So follow me on Instagram. I'll be posting updates and works in progress as I continue to do this kind of stuff. So I think that's it for updates. We'll now uh, dive into this interview with Scott. My guest this week is an artist, director, writer, illustrator, and also a TikToker. In fact, that's where I first discovered his art. His ability to pull together a story into a 60-second short was the inspiration I needed. He openly shares his wonderful paintings mixed in with his past experience, which has pulled in millions of views. However, there is more to this creator. Game design, a series of comics and books, a webcomic series, and an animated movie on Netflix. His portfolio is impressive. His ability to distill his art tips into a short TikTok is a true skill, coupled with his regular live events on the platform. To talk about his creative journey, it is my pleasure to welcome to the Drawing Inspiration Podcast, Scott Sava. Hi, Scott. How are you? Hey, thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. I, I really appreciate you uh, putting the time aside for this. I know you're a very busy guy <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a lot on your plate. And I... It is a bit hectic. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, when I saw your pieces, I think you're probably the first artist I followed on TikTok. Wow. And when Thank I you. saw your work and the and the sheer effort that you put into sharing what you do and what you've done and the the live work that you're doing, I was like, I just it would make my year if I could speak to Scott, um, <laughs> just because I feel really connected to the kind of work that you're doing there. And then I look back and I realize, wow, he's he's did this thing, this movie thing that he, <laughs> <this> small <laughs> little movie that he did in Netflix. Um, and uh, I, I realized there was so much richness to what you what you do, what you've done, and your view of the world. I, I really wanted to hear about. So I, I'm just so thankful that we have this opportunity to be able to chat. So I always like to start to understand, you know, where you came from with this. Like, was were you always the artist? Was this something that was always with you, even when you were a young kid?
1: Yeah, yeah. I you know I. My mom was an artist, my uncles were artists, and so I think they encouraged it. I kind of grew up around art. I, you know, I, I, I must have been six or seven when I first fell in love with Spider-Man, the old Spider-Man TV show, you know, and uh, now in Technicolor. Or, or, you know? <laughs> right. But I, I, uh, I have my old sketchbook. Uh, my mom would give me a sketchbook and I just would fill it with drawings of Spider-Man. And and they were horrible. They were really bad. And then I remember one day we were at uh, I think it was like Eckerd Drugs. You know, um, we were living in Florida, and uh, I got it was like a like the first eight issues of Spider-Man. It was the original Stan Lee, Steve Ditko. It was a pocketbook kind of compilation. And uh, and from there you could see from day one, or you know, like we'll say day ten of me drawing Spider-Man out, you know, out of my head to Suddenly now I, I have a picture to look at was night and day and and suddenly I'm copying and so I just instantly realized that if I could see something I could draw it so much better than out of my head and uh, and I think from there on it was just uh, kind of just smooth sailing uh, I didn't take it that seriously it was just something I was good at until about junior high and that's when uh, my mom says okay we got to get you into some art art classes and from there on, it really kind of became like, okay, well, maybe I can make a living at this. Oh, that's
0: awesome. You know, it's it's so funny because when you speak to artists who are, are going to an atelier or, or wherever, everyone talks about doing master studies, right? You know, you, you look at the masters and you try and replicate or copy their work. And it's like, yeah. as kids, we figure that stuff out really young, except our master studies are comic books. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and other pieces, right?
1: Yeah, you know, anime. Um, I, I, You know, in... in uh, after high school, I mean, I was I was comic books, comic book, comic books, and then um, I graduated. And then in college, um, I got exposed, because art history, I got exposed to all of, you know, uh, J.C. Leindecker, Maxwell Parrish, N.C. Wyeth. But I also got exposed to a lot of anime. Um, which, you know, in the 90s, you know, late 80s, early 90s is, you know, was pretty cutting edge. You know, mm-hmm. there was it and and uh, we'd have to go to Japantown to go find stuff and books and, and whatnot. But yeah, even that, I you know, I remember getting, you know, VHS of Dragon Ball Z and just pausing it and, and do, just doing figure studies from it. And uh, so it, it was just I think I think as artists were were. In some ways, sponges, but also mirrors, and we reflect the world around us through, you know, through our own lenses. And uh, mm-hmm. and I think that's just what we do. Is I see something and I want to replicate it. I see something and I want to. It's almost like I just want to absorb it. I want to have that be a part of me. You know, if something is beautiful, I want to draw it. I want to paint it, and you know, like kind of merge with it in that way.
0: Right. Yeah. You talk about in one of your recent TikToks about you know this mosaic of who you are right yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, i want to explore that later because i think that's exciting and I, I agree like you just want to attach this stuff to you um yeah. and it's not yeah uh, and, and you mentioned anime i just i i remember watching battle of the planets yeah um, <laughs> and and building the little phoenix ship out of paper i built like a 3d yeah. model of it and you know with jason and tiny and like that yep at the time, there was, like, Hercules and <laughs> the silly yeah. Hercules uh, animated show. Um, but Battle of the Planets and, and all the anime that was coming out at that time, it was,
1: like, it was so great. cutting edge. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, Star Blazers was, was huge for me, too. Yeah. Um, and then Robotech came out. Um, and uh, But, yeah, it, it, it was just eye opening. But yeah, comic books, I have so many comic book artists that I just idolize and I would copy them and copy them and copy them and uh and you know, and I I that was my goal uh, because I because Spider-Man was my first love. It's all I wanted to do was be the artist on Spider-Man. That was all I wanted to be was I want to draw Spider-Man one day. And uh and it took me 30 something years to finally do it, but I did get to do that, which was Really cool, but it's uh, awesome. It was it was an obsession, all from a childhood you know TV show. So you you went
0: to college into art or animation, or what what did you pursue at that point?
1: No, um, uh, I went to the Academy of Art in San Francisco. They didn't have animation at the time, so it was uh, your choices were fine art, graphic design, photography, or illustration. And uh, so I was illustration, and okay. um, and and I loved it. You know, it was it was really good. I, the funny thing, I I talked to um, Tony Bancroft, uh, who was my co-director on Animal Crackers, and he directed Mulan. But he went to art school to be a traditional animator, and it, and and I would joke with him. I was like, we both went to school for some for for a career that is no longer viable you know illustration is no longer a career people photoshop everything every movie poster is photoshopped you know everybody takes pictures with their iphone and puts it into a magazine you know there's no there's no illustration anymore and same thing there was there's no traditional animation and i see a couple studios are trying to make traditional but it's even even so it's still being done digitally you know they're still drawing on on tablets and whatnot and so we joke that you know we our, our our degrees are worthless <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, you know, it's uh it's it's a good point. That happens with so many industries, right? As we've changed and yep. I think maybe colleges and universities teach us how to learn versus um teach us how to consume this information. Yeah. And be able to, to leverage it against what we're currently doing in life. So did you have illustration jobs through college?
1: Um I had a couple book covers that I did. I did a Michael Jackson book and I did um I think like a Deaf Leopard and a couple others, you know of the time it was the the late late 80s and um, I never got to see Them published the, the the book published I, I don't know if they ever made the books like I can sometimes find them okay. like in in book searches But I can never see the book cover. So I don't know if they ever got published um, yeah, they're maybe solicited but never got published and and you know And I got paid and I did some interior work for some you know, Encyclopedias and whatnot um, but my first, like, published cover work was uh, for a gaming magazine when I was um, working for Atari. I did the cover of, uh, of a magazine, and, uh, and that was really cool. My first paying, you know, like, big paying gig, I got a magazine cover. So that was, uh, God, I must have been 22, 23 years old when I got my first big, big job. That's awesome. Yeah. And
0: so was Atari the first place you worked after college?
1: First full-time job yeah um, I, I had gotten a an internship at Sega of America, my junior year of college and so I was learning um, 16-bit animation at the time and uh, so I, w- I was getting paid but you know it was just after college you know after classes and whatnot, I would stop in and I would work there for you know however many hours and it was kind of like a part-time thing, but it was a good learning experience and it was a good stepping stone that got me some freelance work. For about a year uh, after I graduated, and then I got the job at Atari as a game designer. How long did you work at Atari? Uh, for almost about three years, and uh, yeah, it was, it was really... Like, I wish I can go back, um, you yeah, know, because I was too stupid to really fully appreciate it. I was still so young, and they had a game room and a cafeteria, so, like, you know, I was never at my desk. I was either playing video games or, you know, getting hamburgers and going back to the game room. And, and it was just, and I just kept, oh, it's research. It's research, you know. And it was just free video games all day, you know. Um, <laughs> somehow, I, 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 you know, there, there was a lot of paperwork, which I hated. You know, it was a corp. It was a corporation. Um, so I always hated the paperwork and they wanted game design documents and you had to plot out every level and every character. I just wanted to draw, like, let me draw the characters. You know, I was working on like, I was designing Primal Rage and, uh, and so let me just draw dinosaurs. That's fun, you know, and, and, uh, but I didn't want to do the paperwork. And, uh, so, but again, I mean, I was young, you know, and, and they were very patient. I mean, for three years, they, until I decided I wanted, you know, I got a better job moving and it was not necessarily a better job but i got a job working in los angeles and so you know we moved down there but uh they would have kept me on they were just the nicest people you know uh it was great it was a great job
0: so what pulled you to uh, la oh
1: la was um a chance to work in comics uh i got a job offer to work at malibu comics and uh, they had a game division so that was you know i had all that experience in games as a game designer i was a two for one which people loved was you know i was a game designer but i was also an artist so i could animate i could illustrate i could you know draw plus i could do the design work so they were kind of getting two two employees at the same time and they would exploit that <laughs> forever you know and it's like you know why don't you draw everything and do you know so um it th- that was good but the 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 draw was uh i got to do the covers for star trek uh at night and so that was my first comic book work and i was doing that and then i was doing like the coloring uh like they were called color guides So they had a whole team of uh, digital colorists. This was, you know, 93, I think, and they had digital colorists, but they didn't trust the digital because it didn't matter what page, each one was getting a different page. So the coloring would have been all over the place. If you say, here's one page, go ahead and color this. So what they did was they had, they would hire someone like myself. They would print everything out on Xerox paper and they would say, just color this in and guide the artist so they know what to do. And so it was like, you're getting paid, I don't know, I think it was like 25 bucks a page or something like that, you know, and you're getting paid to color in comic books with a (laughs) marker, you know, so it was, it was a really great little side job. And I did, God, I don't know, a a couple dozen issues of Mortal Kombat, I would do Bruce Lee comics, I would do Star Trek comics, what I mean, you know, they were getting a real illustrator to just color in their stuff. So they were getting really good colors. I love colors. And then, you know, I would add lighting and, and reflective lighting and, and, and you know, the core shadows and just all the stuff that the, the you know, the, uh, the people on Photoshop would have never done or added in. And so there, there's stuff. So it was, it was a good relationship on top of me getting to do the covers and then the day job that they were paying me for to do the video games.
0: Huh. Wow. <laughs>
1: yeah, it was, <laughs> it was good. It was fun.
0: That sounds like a lot of fun. And so how long were you there?
1: Um, I was there, uh, my wife and I, because um, Donna, uh, my wife, uh, was working in the marketing department there, too. So it was really great because we were working together. We really liked it. And it was fun because we'd have like Ozzy Osbourne coming in and we'd have, you know, like like just Stan Lee would come in. And, and, uh, and then we get all these old, old uh, Marvel Comics people like, um, you know, Marv Wolfman would come by or um, Barry Windsor Smith would come by because he was working on a, a comic series with them, too. I remember one day... Um, and my wife knew because she was working on this. But they announced that they were selling uh, the company to Marvel Comics, and uh, and so you know the the company essentially just got absorbed. So we all, you know, we had like six months to a year to find you know a new job. But we eventually had to go and find a new. Job. So I, I'd say it was about two or three years we were there. Okay. And uh, so it was about the the mid to late nineties. There's this company in Burbank was looking for. Uh, animators for uh, the next Casper movie, and uh, and I was I, I knew nothing about working in in um, movies or anything like that, but they were desperate for animators, and um, again, this was maybe ninety five, ninety six, and there were just not a lot of computer animators, and I had some experience with. I think they call it bitmap animation. So, you know, it was, uh, six, you know it, was, it was pixel by pixel animation. It wasn't 3D. Right. Um, and uh, so I I went out there. I tried out. They would show me the thing. I'd ask them, okay, what does this do? What does it, you know, they would basically, I was there for a day and I guess I impressed them enough. I did a little animation of Casper, um, you know, just flying around to where they gave me a job. And then within two weeks, this is this is no credit to me this is just how bad the animation pool was within two weeks I was the lead animator of <laughs> Casper's uncle stretch and I mean from never touching the software before from never doing this before I was in charge of five or six people so it was just um, be- and I think a lot of it was because a lot of the animators were engineers they were more uh, people you know at that time it was people coming off of like a video toaster it was uh, people who were more editors and more technical people they weren't really coming from an artistic background because I had an early introduction to uh, animation uh, at least in in even you know with Sega with 16 bit I at least knew my way around computers um, I didn't know 3d but it was still just a computer program and so uh, right. com- compared to someone like say like a Tony Bancroft who at that time who'd just pencil and paper you know or comic book artists It's just pencil and paper nowadays everybody has to know digital um computers are everywhere but um this was this was something that uh it just was the right place at the right time
0: yeah i remember uh, i had access to some sgi boxes um back in the day oh Uh yeah
1: those refrigerators those mini refrigerators
0: They were so nice, weren't they? Yeah. Like They were just beautiful looking machines. I was working uh, beside a company that uh, distributed them in the city I'm in. And I remember seeing these machines and then the people that were kind of showcasing the software were the engineers trying to do kind of cool stuff with animation yeah. with the software they had. And it never looked great. And I really, I, I never got access to one, but man, they were beautiful. Yeah, Those yeah. Silicon graphics machines.
1: Uh, they were twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 each. At the yeah. time, you know, it, it, it was insane.
0: Yeah, it was crazy.
1: So I'm curious through
0: all of this, were you still drawing in your spare time?
1: Yeah, because I was trying to get that gig doing Spider-Man. So <laughs> so every cool. year, every year we would go to San Diego Comic-Con and I would bring my portfolio and I would show them new work and every year they would reject me. And so that was all I was doing. You know, I was, you know, I'm always sketching. I'm always drawing but i was always just trying to get better i was illustrating i was doing paintings and i you know, whatever whatever would impress marvel comics enough to give me the gig and uh and so i just uh i couldn't i couldn't convince them i was using colored pencils and markers a lot um and i just my style just wasn't it just wasn't it and then alex ross came along with marvels and that was all they wanted was watercolor, you know, water, you know, we want that realistic, you know, kind of smooth. And and my stuff was very early nineties, angular and, you know, scratchy and, you know, messy. And, and it was, so it was just, they would say, can you do it like Alex Ross? I was like, no, (laughs) you know, this is really good, you know? Um, But yeah, that, that really, really kind of stymied me for a couple of years. And so you worked on so.
0: Back to to Casper, you worked on Casper, and then did you do a couple of movies after that as well?
1: Yeah, I did two two Casper movies, um, and then uh, I did a lot of TV stuff. I did worked on Power Rangers, I worked on Digimon, um, I worked on uh, a, t- a series called NASCAR Racers, a series called Cyber Nine. Um, so that was that was really cool. I was a lot of got a lot of work out of it. And uh, you know, my wife and I, we were able to put money into a house, and and uh, and and everything was going good, and, and it actually started up my studio. Um, I was getting so much work that I, uh, I think it was 1999 or 2000, we wound up having so much work that I had to farm work out to to other artists, and uh, and so we started up Blue Dream Studios, and uh, and so that that was that was a really good time um, for us because uh, we were just. Making a lot of money and I was working on a lot of fun stuff. But, you know, it, I was always disappointed because I wasn't doing Spider Man. <laughs> so, which is sad. Yeah, I was doing all this really cool stuff. I'm working on Casper, working in for Sega, making video games at Atari. I was doing all this fun stuff. I was getting work doing Aliens versus Predator. I did work on X Files. I did work, on, you know, like all this really, really cool stuff. Didn't care. I want to do Spider Man. It's not Spider Man. Yeah.
0: So, you mentioned you, at some point, got a chance to do Spider-Man.
1: Yeah. What had happened was, um, it was around 1999 uh, or 2000, Well it was probably 1999, I met Marv Wolfman at San Diego Comic-Con, and uh, Marv and, and Len Wein. Um, so Marv, for those of you who don't know, Marv created Blade, he created Spider-Woman, he created the Teen Titans, uh, he wrote Crisis on Infinite Earths. I mean, he's created so many characters. Um, he was the editor-in-chief of Marvel and DC and Len Wein created Wolverine created Swamp Things again was also one of the editors um, These guys were best friends and they had written ton of stuff together. They were just really great guys and uh, So I had met them at Comic-Con and I remembered that they had written a book called Mayhem in Manhattan Which was a spider-man novel that I still had from the 70s and so I told them that and, and I said, um, would, would you guys sign it? And uh, they said, sure, show it to us. I'm like, well, I, I don't have it with me in San Diego. I have it at home. But fortunately, they lived in Los Angeles as well. And so they met with me at Jerry's Deli one day. And uh, I brought it with me and they signed it for me. And, um, and I asked them, I said, would you be okay if I adapted this as a, as a graphic novel? and they said sure. Yeah, we don't we don't care. And I said, you know, if if so, would you guys come on and write it? He said sure. So, I illustrated it and uh I gave I gave the artwork to uh Marv and he said he would send it into Marvel. And he did, and it got rejected. <laughs> so, <laughs> he so that was 1999. So, 2000, he says, well, "Why don't you try a more realistic uh, approach, more of a we'll say a uh Alex Ross type of style." So, I, I tried it. <laughs> Uh, Sent it in, got rejected. So that was 2000. 2001, he says, why don't you try this? Take your day job of animation, because I was making a ton of money, I was doing really good. Take your day job of animation and apply it to the comic book. I was like, yeah, but it's not art. You know, it's, it's, you know, this is, you know, just taking a still of Spider-Man and and putting it onto a comic book page. It's not drawing it. I want to draw it. He's like, you're still being an artist it's still art trust me it's still art it's just a different style it's just you know so he convinced me so i made a couple pages of dr octopus and spider-man fighting it out you know we modeled the characters and and everything and and we went to comic-con and uh he handed it to axel alonso who was the editor uh and didn't hear anything waited like june july august september um, no, it was June, July, August, and uh, I get a phone call. And this was back in the days of caller ID, and I got a caller ID says Marvel Comics, and I was like, <laughs> "Holy crap, <laughs> holy crap!" You know. So I got the call, and it was uh, Axel Alonso, and he's like, "Hey, he guys, I just want to let you know, you know, um, it was uh, him, Bill Jamis, who was the editor and Ch- who was the publisher." I'm trying to remember who's the editor in chief, um, Joe Casada. Him, Joe Casada, and, and Bill Jamis. They looked it over. They thought it was amazing, and uh, wow. would you know we'd love to do this. I was like, and I told her. I remember telling him, I've waited thirty-three years for this day, or you know, however, <laughs> however long, uh, thirty-two years. I've been waiting thirty-two years for this, and. uh So he's like, well, you know, are you going to be in New York anytime soon? We'd love to sit down and talk. I was like, I will book a ticket right now. And I did. And I booked my ticket for, um, it was September 14th, 2001. It was three days after 9-11. And uh, and so I remember, you know, uh, of course, after 9-11, and my wife and I were like, well, we we can't go. I, I don't know if it was three it was within it was within a few within a few days at least it was up to the point to where they lifted you know the the no fly zone you know and uh and so people were allowed to fly again tensions were really high it was the first time ever seeing military uh you know soldiers you know in the the airport you know cuz the airports were always so relaxed and everything and right. now there's there's armed you know it, And then I remember flying over and seeing not, you know, seeing Ground Zero still smoldering, you know, I mean, it was still smoldering at the time. And so it was a very somber meeting, but everybody was very, very nice and they were so encouraging. They're like, yeah, we want to do this, but we want to do this as a series, not just a one time thing. We want to do it as a series. And uh, so it was great. So it was a four part series and um, it took me 10 months to produce because I had to build all of the characters I had to build, all of the environments I had to, you know, we had to rig them. We had to you know, everything, and then I would render it, and then I would put it onto the, into Photoshop, and then I would, you know, everything I had to do, even the word bubbles. I was doing everything. Actually, I don't think I did word bubbles, but yeah. So I did all of that for ten months, and for ten months, I didn't talk to anybody. You know, I didn't leave the room. I just, this is my moment. This is it. And and and. I I did. I gave it everything. I I put every ounce of artistic ability into it. And it was not a good-looking comic. I mean, I was pushing the the technology for 2001. I was pushing it as hard as I could. And there are panels that are beautiful. There are panels that are really beautiful. But it's still my first time ever trying to do this, I was fumbling my way through it. Marvel was really happy. It was the number four comic book of all comics for the month for that month. Um, you know, so it sold out. You know, it's, it did really, really. Well. I think I even got like a little residual check or something. But it did very well. They turned it into a graphic novel. The first issue came out with the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man book or uh, Spider-Man movie. It you know Marvel was happy, I was happy. They were asking me if I'd want to try doing the Fantastic Four or if I'd want to do the Avengers, and I think I was a bit exhausted, so I took a little bit of a break. You know, just so I can kind of just look around because it didn't pay very well, not like right. not like animation. But I think after that point, I kind of just sat back and I told my wife, I go, I did it. I I accomplished my life's dream. I don't know what to do anymore. You know, and uh, and I think. Uh, I got really good advice from Len and, uh, Marv who said, trust us, don't go back to Marvel and work for them because, you know, we created all of our best characters for them and we don't get any money for it. They're making millions and millions of dollars off of our creations. They said, create your own stuff, make your own stories. Now you, you Mm -hmm. got to fulfill your, your childhood dream, go and make your own story. And, um, and I think it was around that time that my wife and I, we decided, okay, we'd been married for nine years. Maybe you know, now that I'd gotten the Spider-Man thing out of my system, maybe now's a good time to uh, to have kids. And then we wound up uh, getting pregnant with twins. And uh, and so I turned that creative energy into writing books for the kids. And, and I've written like 12 to 15 books for them over the years. I just started just saying, okay, well, I'll write books for, for them. And uh, and that became my next kind of focus was the kids, the family, and telling stories that they would like.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. So did that end up becoming the uh, Dreamland Chronicles? Was that?
1: Yeah, Dreamland was something I had been, you know, you got stories that are, you know, you, you write down ideas and stories that have been with you since you were in high school. Um, I had always loved vivid dreaming, you know, I lucid dreaming. And I'd always had them and it wasn't until college that I got introduced to Little Nemo in Slumberland which was a an old comic strip from um the turn of the you know 18th to the 19th century you know it was 1905 to 1910 and it was about a little boy who would every night in the strip he would go to Slumberland and he would have adventures with the princess of Slumberland and uh and then every at the bottom of every panel he'd wake up so if he was drowning in his dream it was because his mom was throwing water on him to get him to wake <laughs> up, you know? Or if he was falling, it was because he fell out of bed. And, and it was always this cute little thing. And, and I remember looking at the comic and going, I wonder what happened to Nemo when he grew up? Did he still dream? Did he fall in love with the princess? You know, like, how did that right. relationship go? And that was the impetus for Dreamland. I mean, I uh, up until I really started writing it in earnest, it was, he was, it, the character's name was Nemo. I was just literally just taking that and, and that. But um yeah, I started the Dreamland Chronicles probably when my boys were born. And um and I just started creating this and I, I think there was also a part of me that looked back on Spider-Man and said, God, I think I could do better. You know, it was one of those things <laughs> that was like, you know, I, I did this, I poured my heart and soul into it. Think you know, like I think I learned so much that I think if I did it this way, it would be so much better. And I thought, let me try something Lord of the Rings epic. I mean huge that's gonna span, you know, uh twelve books and this and that, you know, like just it's yeah. gonna have dwarves and elves and dragons and centaurs and just the kitchen sink of everything and 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 I did. And I think over the years I must have poured Hundred fifty two hundred thousand dollars of my own money into the creation of that series, and um, it was uh, it was great. And 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 Nemo, when we found out we were having twins, because um, I had written kind of the story was he had this best friend that lived across the street, and they would you know one would write down all of the stuff, the other one was having the adventures, right. um, and that was where the name The Dreamland Chronicles came from. But when we found out we were having twins. I was like, "Oh well, they got to be twins." And so, you know, I the the, the characters uh, Alexander and Daniel are my sons uh, Logan and and Brendan's middle names. So it's Logan Alexander and Brendan Daniel. That's so cool. the characters are named after my boys' middle names. And it's funny because again, I created these characters. We designed the characters one with brown hair, one with blonde hair, and through some twist of fate. Right, we, our twins were uh, fraternal twins, one with bl- brown hair, one with blonde hair. Yeah. And the same thing, one with straight hair, one with uh, curly hair. And and so it was just, I don't know how it came out that way, but it was just such a an amazing um, coincidence. Because I'd already designed the characters to not be related. They didn't look right. like each other, and and the kids came out, twins, not looking like each other, completely different. And uh, so that was, that was really fun.
0: So he's talking about writing your own story, right?
1: <laughs> <Like> yeah. <laughs> that's
0: great. Really crazy. So how many, uh, how, it was, was it 12 books? How many books were part of that?
1: Oh, um, I uh, eight books in total. I was able okay. to, to kind of wrap it up in eight books. It was uh, like 2,500 pages. Um, Cause the pages, the books were about uh, 300 plus pages uh, per book. Um, okay. And, uh, and, yeah, I mean it it really I did the first couple comic books, and while the reviews were good, because visually it was really nice. Um, but while the reviews were good, I couldn't get any comic shops to buy it. uh it was just wasn't superheroes, wasn't drawn by a big name, you know that kind of thing. It just right. wasn't. and uh it was a friend of mine, um Audrey Taylor, who had recommended that I try putting it online she goes you know I think your audience is not the comic book crowd I think there's a crowd out there that that um would would appreciate your work so much more and so she convinced me to go online and I started putting a page a day up I think I want to say 2006 is when I started putting a page a day up and um I did that for 11 years and I wound up getting 34 million readers over those 11 That's years, crazy. it got translated into like a whole bunch of different languages. And, you know, we have toys and uh, merchants and, and kids come to the conventions dressed up in costume, dressed up as my characters. And it's the coolest thing. I just, I love it. But um, that is, I you know, it's funny. I look back on that with so much more pride than I do Spider-Man, you know. and And I think that was... Spider Man was something I I needed to do, you know, from for my my younger self. Yeah. You know, but the Dreamland Chronicles is every every bit of Labyrinth, Neverending Story, The Hobbit, John Carter of Mars, um, the old Dungeons and Dragons TV show. You know, I mean, it's got a little bit of everything that I loved. Fantasy, you know, Conan, you know, what anything fantasy that I loved growing up it's got in there and uh and i think that is that is the world that would make me comfortable that's that's the like the story plays out the way i wanted it to and and and, and the characters act the way i would want them to and it was so comforting writing that story and illustrating that story that um i just love it i love it you know i, I would i really want to turn it into an animated series now one day i think that would be, be really awesome. fun
0: so, what do the two most important readers think of these stories
1: about <laughs> You know, them? they loved it. I, I've got so many pictures of them in their pajamas laying it, because I would say, okay, I finished the next chapter. You know, it's illustrated. And, and uh, okay, they hand it to them. And it was usually, in the early days, it was printed out. But, uh, you know, once once iPads came along, you know, it was like, you know, here, here's everything on an iPad. They could look at it or they'd sit on my computer and, you know, hit hit next and and flip through it. And they would just devour it. And then I remember when the books were coming out and they were in elementary school, um, they would have me come in and talk. You know, to the class and whatnot, and then all the kids would want, and I, and I would bring free copies of the first issue not the not the graphic novel, but at least the first issue because I had a lot of those. And then parents would say, you know, can we buy you know can we buy the books? And you know, sure, and we would sell it to them as a, at a discount, whatever we could do to just make sure that the kids were reading, right. and uh, and the kids would be, you know, when's the next book coming out? Was it you know I don't know. I'll ask my dad. And so they were kind of like, they loved it. And I remember it was twenty seventeen when the last issue the last book was done and they read it and i remember because uh so 2017 was four years ago so they were 14 years old they'd grown up with it you know from from birth they'd grown up with it and um they uh, let me make sure i've got my timing right because it's 2006 11 years is 2017 right yes okay so they'd they'd grown up with it and um they were sad like like they were visibly saddened that there was going to be no more dreamland chronicles and it was almost like their childhood had just like okay i guess it's time to grow up which was really sad for me you know it was just it was just but you know they they had they had had this story that and i would read them the hobbit and i would read them you know uh books you know we read them harry potter and we uh, i would read them that stuff at night and and that was always really fun but they knew that this one was for them And, uh, and so it was, it was, uh, it was bittersweet. It was bittersweet.
0: Have you ever thought about, um, you know, applying the older Nemo approach to this and what happens with these boys when they grow older? Yeah. Consider that.
1: (laughs) I I would love to revisit it. Um, it, it was such a financial ordeal and, and actually what we're doing right now is, um, because I started working on animal crackers in 2014, I, and, 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 So much time had passed since we started working on the Dreamland Chronicles. The software was outdated. The models were outdated. I was having such a hard time getting the files open and making my first ever animated film that I had to hire a friend of mine, uh, Tracy Bailey, who's an incredibly talented artist, to illustrate the final 350 pages. Um, So she illustrated the final book. And I wound up really loving the look of it. So much mm-hmm. so that I asked her if she would be willing to re-illustrate the CGI in her own style. So do it in her own 2D, you know, kind of animation style. And mm-hmm. she agreed to do it. And um, so we set up a, a, a Patreon and she gets paid from that. And um, hopefully next project I can, you know, pay her a little more. And But she's got six, seven years worth of work ahead of her. If she can, you know, if I could financially keep her afloat. I'm hoping that this would be a new uh, look. And, I, and I'd like to do a little bit of editing. You know, I've grown a little bit. Um, but I'd like to get that out. And, and hopefully maybe that hits a new audience, a new generation. And then maybe I could, if things go well, either tell it as an animated series or tell more books. You know? but awesome. I, I Yeah, I, I love this new look. I think it's really good.
0: That's, uh, that's great. I, I, I'm working on a short story for my girls that's kind of an autobiography. Uh, I lost my mom when I was quite young, like when I was 17. And uh, so the story's around that, but it's around technology, and I have two daughters. And so I'm trying to show how powerful women can be and and teenage girls can be in this book. And so that's what the story's about. And uh, yeah, so I'm I'm 65,000 words into it, and I've thought about it, and there's no illustration, but I've thought Mm. about now that maybe I should make this into something that's more illustrated. Maybe not a graphic novel, I don't know, but... Man, speaking to you and hearing this story, it's because I started drawing um, in my 40s when my youngest, because my wife went back to to work before I did. It it was just, it was easier for us to do it that way. And I was home with my youngest, my oldest, I should say, and I was drawing dinosaurs for her. Mm. And I drew a triceratops and it was like, this isn't bad. So, then then I drew a, a chickadee for my wife at Christmas and she thought it was a photograph and it's like, huh. That's all I need to hear. <laughs> and you know, fourteen years later, whatever—that's uh, where oh, we that's are now. Oh, that's fantastic! So it's amazing how kids and and family and friends can inspire you to. They can. Really they can inspire you these.
1: and encourage you to to do things you never thought you'd do. I mean, I've written books. I was I was never a writer, <laughs> you know. I've written books because <laughs> of my kids, you know.
0: That's so cool. Yeah, I would love to. Uh, I would love to see that go further. I'm going to have to. Uh, I haven't checked out these books. I'm going to take and, and poke around a bit I, I love this kind of stuff and knowing the story oh, yeah. behind it is uh, is important
1: yeah yeah
0: and i'll um, i'll mention this and, and we'll do it at the end as well but anything that we talk about uh, with regard to the people you've mentioned and the projects i'm going to link all those in the show notes so if people are listening to this and you're in your car right now or you're painting because we have a lot of artists that listen to this when they paint uh know that the show notes will be there when you're done and you can check out the backstory on all of this stuff so i will link to everything so, let's get to this movie thing because that's not a small feat, <laughs> and it kind of it's i wanted to have you on because I wanted to talk kind of like maybe you can give us an overview of what that project was, and then we can talk about the art around it, and then we can get into what you're doing now because um this movie Animal Crackers is on netflix it It's incredible <laughs> I would highly recommend everyone watching it it's just it's Thank so you. much fun um and uh, so much emotion in it I, I, I loved it and so great job but Thank you. I wanted you to maybe explain um, if you can that journey and obviously it impacted the final book of Dreamland Chronicles so it was an important yeah. journey for you maybe I can start with why did you want to do this like it didn't start as a movie right so why did you want to do the initial iteration of this
1: yeah so so during those years I said I'd written a dozen books on top of the eight books for the dreamland chronicles so i had written books for my boys as they would get into stuff so uh i wrote ed's terrestrials which is aliens that land in this kid's backyard uh pet robots my grandparents are secret agents cameron and his dinosaurs gary the pirate so just little fun stuff that you know kind of would i would write so the boys would have something to read and uh we were publishing the books And, you know, we'd we'd met with another publisher who would offer to kind of foot the bill for some of it, um, which was great. And then around 2006, I'm trying to remember, uh, 2006, 2007, uh, Disney came calling and wanted the rights to Pet Robots. They wanted to turn it into a movie. I'm like, Mm. okay, that's great. Uh, And then MTV wanted the rights to Hyperactive. And then Fox wanted the rights to The Luckiest Boy. And... Nickelodeon won an emperor and so like things were just getting optioned and optioned and optioned and optioning your stuff is pretty cool But none of them ever made it into movies They just they 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 were in development for about three years and then I got the rights back And mm-hmm. so that went on for several years and sometime around 2011 I just told my wife I said, you know We got to try doing this on our own because I don't think Hollywood's ever gonna and you like you're handing them a finish. Here's a whole story what are you guys developing it for? Just get it into production. It's already <laughs> right. written. You know what what's there to do, you know. But everything there is done by committee and no one could agree on anything. And uh and they're all just based on, you know, like what's the current trend, which is why you get like 3 tornado movies at a time, you know. It's like tornado movies are, you know, cool. Let's all make a tornado movie. So, yeah, we went out and this is the very very short version, but we went out and we just decided let's go and try to find the money ourselves. And miraculously, I mean, it took three years, but 2014 came around, and miraculously, we found investors in Korea and China who were willing to give us money to go and make a movie. I'd never made a movie before, uh, you know. I, I was a cog in a wheel, you know, or a cog in a machine um, for Casper, but never made a movie before. So I called some friends that I had worked with: Tony Bancroft, who directed Mulan; Dean Lorre, who wrote Arrested Development. Um Jamie Thomason, who was my casting director. Um uh, so you know, we we got I got people who like I had worked with before. They'd never made a movie independently either, but everybody had like I was taking all the different cogs from the different machines and we were kind of trying to build our own machine. And we did. We we went off and we made a movie. Again, this is an extremely shortened version. But right. um next thing you know, from Franklin, Tennessee, I'm I am making a movie and Sylvester Stallone and Ian McKellen and Danny DeVito and John Krasinski and Emily Blunt and raven Simone and Patrick Warburton Harvey Fierstein, Gilbert Gottfried. I mean, everybody is in this movie. we got music from Queen, Michael Buble, Huey Lewis and the News, Toad the Wet Sprocket, Howard Jones. Um, it was incredible. Uh, you know, we we just, for three years, my wife and I, we got to make an animated film and just whatever we wanted to do, we were the only ones in charge there was no no studio because no studio was picking up anything that i would do and uh so it was just okay we'll we'll make the movie and then we'll sell it and uh, we finished it and a couple of years later we sold it to netflix and it came out uh july 24th 2020 right in the middle of the pandemic and it was the number one animated film of the summer in the whole world. So uh That's so awesome. it was kind of cool. It, you know, it wasn't thank you. I mean there was no big fanfare. There was no uh you know, a red carpet event or premiere or it didn't make huge box office numbers. It just went directly to Netflix. But because of the pandemic, it was the number 1 movie and uh, it it was such a joy to make and because I didn't have Hollywood and marketing and and, and this people all telling me what to do, it's it's pretty purely the story that i wanted to tell you know from beginning to end for all of its uh warts and all you know because the beginning is a bit long as everybody tells me um because i was like oh no, no you got to know all of this stuff you know and <laughs> right. and uh so the beginning is a bit long but once if, if you're watching it once john krasinski turns into a hamster it flies just trust me on that so just wait for that part and you'll be happy That's um up. but it was it was such a fun experience getting to meet everybody and traveling to London and and Los Angeles and Spain where where the, where the movie was animated and New York and um, hanging out with all of the actors and the musicians and it was it was just an incredible incredible experience.
0: Yeah, I've uh, I've listened to you talk about kind of the film side of this and other interviews, and it is it's a wonderful story. <laughs> and I don't know, like, can you maybe like what I thought was so funny was um, how Emily. Uh, Blunt got into oh yeah <laughs> the movie. I don't know if you could just talk about yeah of course the experience uh, with John and Emily because I thought yeah. that was so funny.
1: So so it's, imagine 2014, we you know we had most of the cast except for the two the two leads uh, Owen and Zoe. We were talking to Ben Affleck. We were talking to Matt Damon. We were talking to you know like all of the the normal big leads that that you reach out to you know mm-hmm. and uh, so my uh, Jamie my casting director he goes okay I got a guy who's interested. John Krasinski, I got, never heard of him. He's like he's in that TV show, The Office. I, got, I never saw it. He's like, well, trust me, he's funny. I'm like, okay, well, I trust you. You know, I mean, you, you did right. You got Ian McKellen, you got Danny DeVito, you got Sylvester Stallone, you got this great cast. Sure, you know we could we could give this guy a, give this guy his big break. You know, jokingly, you know, and uh, so we fly out. I fly out from from Nashville, and I meet John. and He's the nicest guy. Just the nicest, nicest guy. Really, really, you know, uh, cool. And he starts recording, and I was like, "Oh my god, this guy is Owen. This is he is funny. He's heartwarming. He's everything. He's the complete package." I can't believe I never heard of this guy before. He's really good. He should be, he should be working in films, you know. <laughs> right. And uh, and and so he was. Uh, Jamie had also cast Kaylee Cuoco for the. Uh, for the co-star for 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 zoe and um she didn't show up and uh so Kaylee cuoco is from the big bang theory and mm-hmm. uh, another show i had not seen <laughs> and so uh she didn't show up so we do our things i meet danny devito and everybody else and then i fly home two weeks later come out john's there great guy kelly cuoco doesn't show up again okay so we record everybody else we do all that third time i go out she doesn't show up I'm like, oh my god, we got to fire Kaylee Cuoco, and so we did, and I was really bummed. And so John, not knowing any of this, is hanging out and and he had just finished the session, so I was in the recording you know uh, room with him, and um and he's just telling me he's like, you know, he goes, I just want to tell you, he goes, you know, my wife just thought your script was so funny and so adorable and heartwarming and this and that and. I had no idea who he was married to because I didn't know who he was in the first place anyhow and so I was just like oh well please tell your wife thank you for me. Fortunately, the microphones were hot, and everybody comes running into the room, and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa you know," and they're like, "Would your wife be interested in in being in our movie?" I'm like, "Why are you asking this poor guy if his wife wants to be in?" Movie? That's embarrassing, you know. I didn't know he was married to Emily Blunt, and uh, fortunately, he just he pulls his phone out and he goes, "Hey, babe, you want to be in the movie with me?" And she's like, "Sure," and that's how Emily came on the film, and they were just a. It was their first ever film working together. They were so excited because they, had, you know, they were just—I think a year or two ago—they had just had their first baby, and um, and they were just so excited and having so much fun. And John kept making Emily laugh the entire time, to the point to where I was just like, oh, "Let's just keep it in the film. It's so cute." And uh, and they were just—they were just the best. I, uh, you know, they—they, they, I would say uh, almost fifty percent of the, the the dialogue that you hear is ad lib it's just stuff that they made up because they were just playing around so much i was just like oh this is just so fun they were just such a there's such a genuinely nice couple of people
0: you know the, the work he did through the pandemic last year with his news bit yeah some good news
1: like what what a nice yeah. guy like yeah you
0: just that's awesome i'm so glad to hear that that's a wonderful story yeah in doing all of that you know you're going from illustrator okay. to now this you know, huge movie that's on Netflix with these massive stars, um, what would you have done differently?
1: I would have paid myself. I didn't pay <laughs> 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 You know, I, I it was like, oh, it was my first movie. Um, you know, I don't need to get paid a big salary. I'll take a little bit of the back end. Never take the back end because there was none. You know, we sold it to Netflix and there was no back end, you know. So I would have paid myself. That would have been one thing. Um, other than that, I think I've been really good, like, when I did Spider-Man... I, I've been very good about being in the moment, and so I, 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 I usually don't stress about things that much. I just focus on the the fact that I am doing something that not too many people get to do. Whether it was doing Spider Man or you know working on Animal Crackers, I knew that that was something very, very special. And so I think every every moment that I was doing it, I was just absorbing it. And so I I, I feel very confident about that, but. um yeah. Other than that, um, I don't like to look back. Um, I, I I don't mind learning from, but I don't really like to look at things as mistakes because I usually, I usually say that I do, I do the best I can with the information that I have, and so I, I the same way I look back at Spider Man, I go, I don't regret. I know I could do a way better job now, uh, doing Spider Man, mm-hmm. but I didn't have that knowledge back then. I didn't have the technology back then. I knew that I poured every ounce of artistic ability, all of my heart, all of my soul into it. And that's all I could do. And so I don't regret anything. The same thing with Animal Crackers. I don't regret, would I go back and fix the story? Would I go back and do that? Of course. But people, you could spend your life trying to fix the past. Or you could just make a better future. And so I'd rather just do that. Like
0: it must be challenging to do all of that, which takes so much out of you because you're everything around that, especially the movie. And then, you know, going from dreamland chronicles to, to the movie, how do you balance that with your boys and and Donna and, and maintaining balance through all of that? Like that, uh, like that's hard, right? I mean, it's, it's wonderful that you create these fantastic (laughs) creative pieces, but you're coming on, coming out of this and it sounds like, you know, everything is still good. So what, what did you do right what advice would you have with respect to that
1: um i have a very short attention span and so uh what i do is i will do 12 things at a time um but they're not it's not like i'll work on 12 paintings at a time like i will work right. on one painting i will play one video game i will spend time with my family i will work on a movie i will be writing a script you know it's so like i'll be doing and until i get all of those done and then i kind of re-up and do the next thing um Mm -hmm. so for me a, a typical day is i come downstairs before everybody gets up and i'll you know go through all the web stuff that i gotta do i'll draw i'll write i'll do whatever then you know my wife will get up and then i'll spend time with her and when the kids i'll spend time with them i come back i paint a little more i go do this i take my phone calls so i'm i'm it's it's not um I think they call it like hyper focusing, like I'll hyper focus on you know this for fifteen minutes, and then I'm moving on to the next thing and so I think I kind of utilize my I don't want to say disability, but how my brain works. I kind of utilize that to make sure that the kids get so much time let's go out and play football, let's you know toss the ball, let's go for a drive, let's do this, let's do that and i and I'm very cognizant of how much time there is in the day, and I get up early. Too so and I'm and I'm a bed by ten, uh, so I you know like I'm not a I'm not a late sleeper, but I. So what's I, early for you? Not early for me, but I just get up at six. Oh, six, okay, yeah, yeah. I was yeah, just wondering I get how
0: early. Six. Like, is it four?
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. People do that too. Yeah, no, uh, I, six six a.m. Like you basically dawn. You know, if okay. the sun's up, I'm up, and nice. uh, and so I I just um, but you know like we play video games together, um, we'll do board games, uh, we eat dinner together. We'll do stuff. Uh, My son and I are fixing up a 60, you know, 67 Cougar, whatever, whatever that is. I make sure that there's time in the day for that. Now, of course, there are days, uh, if, if I was traveling, you know, working, you know, if I got to go to London, I can't do those things. You know, the best, best you'll get is a FaceTime or something. But, um, and that was annoying to them, you know, when I was doing, (laughs) when I was doing it, I was like, ah, dad's gone, you know, um, but again, I, I, I tried to look at, um, I decided, you know, my wife and I, we decided we wanted to be parents. I wasn't going to just kind of let that slip by. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you're you only going to get them at five years old once. You're only going to get them at six years old once. You better make sure you put everything into that. So, you know, they they got hopefully the best of me too. And, and I think it's also easier when you're working at home. I didn't have to go in and work a job. And that was really a, a good thing because the movie was being animated in Spain. And I would have to fly out there maybe a couple times a year. Uh, I would fly to Los Angeles more than anything, um, and that was maybe once or twice a month for a couple days. But for the most part, I was home for all of it, and so they they got to see me throughout the day. And any time that they needed me, they'd just come downstairs and they'd say, "Dad, can you come throw the ball with me?" or "Dad, can you you know go for a bike ride with me?" or something. I say, "Sure," you know. And if I couldn't, they knew that I would make it up later on.
0: Well, it's you know, it's no doubt that you're a great illustrator and director, and and everything around you professional but i mean it sounds to me like you're an awesome dad and oh thank uh, you that's i think that's so cool thank you yeah. thank you now i wanted to ask you your car has a name <laughs> yeah and esmeralda esmeralda so did the car come first or the character in the animal character. crackers now the yeah. character
1: came first yeah um there was um well, i had written the character in the book esmeralda's actually in the original book too Okay. Um but it wasn't until harvey firestein uh played the part uh that i it it really had some spice to it <laughs> you know and and uh yeah i just i don't know why I decided that the car needed a name but uh I, i'm i'm sure there's i'm sure there's something that I saw somebody had a name for their car or something but i just and it's funny because it was a it's a mercury cougar and every you know people will go. It's a Mercury. Why didn't you call it Freddy? You know, I'm like, darn, I think that's a good one, you know, <laughs> a one. And it's with Freddy Mercury. And I just, but Esmeralda is just, I love the name.
0: It's it's funny because you've got this one, you know, the Mercury of that vintage um, had this tilt away steering wheel, which you talk yeah. about on your TikToks, which we'll get into later. But it seems there's a lot of complexity to the cougar and which I think warrants the use of Esmeralda. So I think that's.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's it's There's some magic in there. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, the Mercury, Mercury's were the um, the luxury upscale uh, Mustangs. You know, that's that's what the Cougars were. Yeah, it's
0: a beautiful car. Yeah, if you want to see more of that, you'll have to check out uh, Scott's uh, TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> he... So I, I wanted to go into the art side of things, and because you produce so much of this, which which once again blows me away that you've done all of this stuff. But you're prolific in this production of, of art that you're doing, whether it's um, uh, sketches when you're out or doing, uh, you know, the characters from the original Star Trek or whatever the case. I'm wondering about, I guess maybe if you can talk about what you do, and then we can talk about the inspiration and motivation behind it. So are, are you following when it comes to tools that you're using now? Are you consistent with kind of the paper you're using? The, um, like you use gouache a lot? Um, so what's your kind of process around this now? Like, do you have it pretty locked in as to what you do day to day in doing your work?
1: No, no. no. I mean, okay. I've been going back and forth between different... I've been trying different paper. I have paper that has been working for me. It was actually Santa J. Claus uh, on TikTok who who uh, recommended I try this certain nicer paper. And I was like, well, I have this really expensive French paper. And so we actually did a live where we just sat around trying different paper and how the watercolor reacted to it. And and I did some paintings with different, different materials and different paper. And I haven't even tried different watercolors. Um, I've also, you know, there's just some days I just feel like painting in gouache. And so like the guardians of the galaxy ones that I did were in gouache. Um, I did prints in gouache. So some days I just want to do gouache. Some days I just want to do watercolor. I've never had the same style for more than a decade, so I think I just, I, I like to change things up. I get bored very easily. Um, but I also love that the, the pandemic, you know, I think I was sketching in my sketchbook. I was taking my sketchbook. I was traveling. I was going places. And, uh, and then the pandemic hit last year. And then I just went for like three months of no drawing. And I just was like, I've, I've got to do something. And uh, and then I discovered TikTok in August, and I was like, okay, I'll I'll do a painting a day, and um, and then one painting a day became two, and then became three. You know, I was just, but 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 in doing so, I remember the first drawing I had done in three months. I had drawn or I had painted. I was starting to paint the cast of Hamilton, and the first one was just so bad. And then the, the next one, and the next one, and the next one. I by the time I got to Lin Manuel Miranda, I was I was okay. It's starting to look a little better now. Like it was starting to. It's like I was getting the cobwebs out, and then things started to pick up on TikTok, and um, I started really finding a, like a comfort zone. I was filling up sketchbooks, and uh, and, I, and 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 I, as I was doing the the pages, I could see. I was feeling more confident I was getting there was a, that comfort where I would go I, I'm not terrified every time I'm looking at a blank paper anymore I, I know that it'll come out okay it's not gonna be horrible it might not be my best but it's not gonna be horrible and I think that was really comforting just to know that I had reached a plateau to where I wasn't gonna put out crap like I wasn't terrified like what's gonna show up today um and, and that was that was a first for me in like my entire life of having that comfort. But that was because I was doing it every single day and I was doing the same style. I was doing this pen and ink and watercolor and I was doing it every single day. I wasn't just playing around, playing around, playing around. And and that, that really gave me some comfort. And then um in January I started doing the lives. And uh and I think I picked a size, a very small size, so I could sell the painting, so people could have them at a cheap price. You know, if I could, no one wants to spend two, three, four hundred dollars on a, on a little painting. So mm-hmm. I was saying, okay, if I spend forty five minutes on a painting, I could sell it for fifty dollars, and that's a, that's it's two twenties and a ten. You know, it's it's not a, it's not going to break the bank for most people. They could own a piece of art, and I don't, and I feel like at least my time. Has some value to it, mm-hmm. um, and I could do two of these painting during a live. It's an hour and a half live, and um, and that became something that really I hit a groove, and and I became uh, just more proficient at it. And then the, and of course I got bored, and I started painting in gouache, and I started doing other <laughs> stuff, and bringing out the colored pencils and whatever. But I, but but you know that lasts for maybe a week, and then I come back and I do the do the the pen and ink again. Yeah, so I you know I I'm really happy with. My comfort zone and the fact that, you know, I have a technique and a style that is a go-to that I feel comfort with. For, for my entire career, because I wasn't painting every day, I wasn't illustrating every day because it was never my full-time job, um, it was always hit and miss with my illustrations. I would do 10 illustrations and one of them was something I was happy with. Uh, and and those are the ones you see, <laughs> you know. Like if I show you, right. here's something I did in 2001. You know, that was one of the good ones, you know. But um, now I, I feel like 99 out of 100 are ones I'm happy with, and that other one is still not a bad one. You know, like, um, you know, it's just I think it could have come out better, but just the luck of the draw. So I, I'm I'm feeling very very happy with that, which is very rare for me. I'm 52 years old, and I'm finally you know feel comfortable.
0: I think that's a lesson to anyone who's under 52 at this point. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes things take a bit of time. I, I just find it so interesting you've gone through that and Animal Crackers is an a uh, CG animated movie and then you're coming back to the physical, the textures and the ink yeah. and all that. I think that's incredible. And how many paintings have you done since coming back to it, let's say, last August? Do you know?
1: I think about a thousand. Yeah, I mean, um, I've averaged, you know, there's four I, and I, and I'm not posting a lot of the commissions, you know, so, you know, like I've got six paintings on a board right there that I'm doing for, it's actually a friend of mine's anniversary. There's, you know, he's 45th year anniversary. There's six paintings there. I've got, you know, uh, I did three paintings today. Um, so I think, you know, you do 300 days, you know, at three, a, three a day is, is 900 paintings. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think it's well over a thousand at this point.
0: And when you say paintings, when you're talking painting, do you work in oil at all, or is it typically no, gouache? No,
1: no, it's it's gouache, water gouache, gouache or watercolor. Those okay. are my 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 two mediums. Um, I will use acrylic gouache from time to time, which is essentially just gouache that hardens like acrylic, but it's still right. matte. Um, but yeah, I I've I don't have the patience. For, to watch paint dry like oil, you know, I just, it was like, you know, I, if you've been in the lives, you see me with the blow dryer, you yeah. know, I'm just going to hurry up, hurry up, dryer ready, you know, so oil is just not for me.
0: Huh. That's uh, I, I mean, I love your work. I, I want to get out and uh, do some urban sketching. So I did some of that last year, not a lot. Oh, great. And I did some the year before and I'm just, I get so frustrated with watercolor and then I go back to graphite. That's my preferred medium, I would say. That's my comfort tool. But I wanted to to ask you as well, like when you were at that point, when you were going out and uh, trying, or or when you were going out and you were drawing things, because you talk about that in your TikToks as well, where you're sitting down in public areas and that, you're an introvert, right? I think you talk about that in one of the TikToks. And I am as well. I act as an extrovert sometimes because there's a benefit yeah. in doing that. I'm sure you probably do the same. Can you talk through that? Because I've done urban sketching where people are coming up and they're like, you know, looking over your shoulder. And I've talked about this before. They look over your shoulder and they're watching you. Um, it doesn't happen a lot, but it yeah. does happen. And you want them to kind of go away because this is the ugly part of the yeah. <laughs> painting. Please come back. <laughs> We're not ready here yet. Can you talk about managing that and, 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 and maybe like, when you come back home and you're done, what does it look like for you? Do you need to wind down at that point? Can you just talk about an introvert going through this? Kind yeah, of stuff?
1: I mean, I I try to um, I, I try to put myself in a bubble. So I'll bring headphones or or noise, you know, just uh, earplugs uh, if I need to. Um, so that way I'm not hearing people walking. I'm not hearing people talk. Um, I I really haven't had anybody come up to me and look over my shoulder. I've been very fortunate with that, you know. Um maybe I'm just not approachable. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, the headphones but, help. That sends a message, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um but but the thing is, is um you know, I also take a photo as soon as I find something I like, I take a photo. In the event that somebody did, and I didn't feel comfortable, I'll just take it home and draw it at home. It doesn't matter to me where I draw it. Uh uh if I could sit down and I could paint in a place and it's a nice temperature and everything is nice, I'll do it, but otherwise, if I have a chance to come back to the hobbit hole and work at my own pace and you know work, I'll you know I'll do that too. so um, I don't believe we need to be purists when we're out sketching. you know there's people who I'm sure they're they're like, you know, you've got to do the the, the plain art painting and you've got to do it right there on the spot. I don't care. this is for my diaries, for my journal, you know right. um, if I want to take a photo and I want to come home and do it when I feel like it, I'm gonna do it. And so I try not to give myself too many rules that are gonna put me in an uncomfortable situation. Um and I, I just keep telling myself, I'm fifty two years old. I don't need to do these things. You know, you're not the boss of me, yeah. <laughs> right. And that that's that's my that's my my motto is like I'm a grown man. And if I don't wanna be around people, I don't I'm not around people. I mean I've 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 sketched in pubs, uh, you know, loud pubs and I'll put my headphones on and but if i don't feel comfortable i'll just take a picture and i'll finish it sometimes i just get the pencils done um and i I would say probably most of the times i just get it's very rare where i can actually be comfortable enough to get out the watercolors and the inks and do all of that in one sitting just because you know uh if you're in a busy crowded place i just don't like that feeling of just the claustrophobic feeling of people around me i don't like the noises i don't like the smells i don't you know and uh but i love looking back knowing that i sat right there and even if i just did a little bit of drawing i was there it it, it it's it's like a it's like a little accomplishment i got out of the house and i did something and i wasn't there for that long i you uh, know i mean i if i was so like during the pandemic i got out a little bit I, I went to places where I knew there wasn't going to be a lot of people. Or if like like uh, when, I, when I sketched, um, one of the first ones I did on TikTok was uh, Puckett's Grocery. It was crowded. It was a sun- crowded Sunday. And I was there with my son. And um, actually, no, I was, I'm sorry. I was there with my wife. And we, it was just packed. And we're in Tennessee. And no one was wearing a mask. And it was, you know, and I was going, and and our son has has uh, Crohn's disease. He has an uh, immune deficiency. You know, he's immunocompromised. Mm-hmm. So we we're just like, there's no way I'm going to go in there, you know. And so I just parked the car, across the street, I sat and I sketched, and uh, and 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 so um, I will find a place that I feel comfortable. If I, you know, if I can't, like, there was no way I'm going to go sit in a crowded, you know, uh, room in the middle of COVID and do that. If there was no COVID, I probably still wouldn't want to go sit in the crowded room, (laughs) you know. Um, But the thing is, is that that's me knowing my comfort zone. Uh, I I have so many sketches in my sketchbooks at very crowded restaurants. um, And that's because we were at someone's birthday party and I had to be there. So what I do is I find a place in the corner is far away from people. I put my headphones on, I sit and I sketch. And that's my happy place. That takes a, an uncomfortable situation and it makes it more comfortable for me. If it's a place where I can't leave, at least I've always got my sketchbook. And so that's always been, since I was a kid, it's always been that um, distraction for me. Do you carry your sketchbook everywhere um not like if i'm going to the grocery store no but if okay. if i'm if we're like hey let's go to nashville for x i'll bring it with me and i i you know i have that really cool swiss medic bag oh you do have so, a cool one. yeah <laughs> 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 so so i mean it took me a long time to find something that fit my sketchbook and all my paints and everything but i have that so it's like i don't mind you know it's like i've got this thing i might as well walk around and carry it and yeah. uh it's it's kind of cool it's fun to it's a fun accessory
0: you know when i saw you with this swiss medic bag which is just a brilliant looking piece right uh i don't know how many hours i spent on ebay trying to
1: find one. <laughs> I, I think i think i think any that there were um yeah i did find some on etsy people are selling them on etsy for a, a lot more money um but i mean i think i got mine for maybe 150 bucks and uh i'm sure but i've heard from a lot of people who are in in switzerland who say that yeah they sell these things because they have surplus stores they sell these things all over the place so i think there was a lot of them that they made over the years and um and so i don't know maybe maybe it's a little more expensive but if you're ever in switzerland give a look
0: i think i know some people there i'm i'm i would love one because i think and and what's so unique about this is kind of it's leather it holds kind of your sketchbook but then the front flap kind of folds down and you have access to it opens up
1: i love the snaps i love the snaps and uh and the fact that it fits so perfectly in my watercolor kit and uh it's just it's 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 wonderful but yeah it is it is a um I also like the fact that you're taking something that and again it's it's a medic kit so it technically wasn't for war it was for healing right but you know you're you're, you're taking something and you're re- repurposing it for for art I just love
0: it. yeah I think it's um maybe it becomes part of that ritual too right that I am now in the artist kind of drawing mode right now yeah I've, I've got my kit. And that's what I love about your, you do these video compilations where you're packing up your kit and you're putting yeah. it in Esmeralda and off you go. And that's what is so empowering about going out and doing this kind of stuff is is that part of it, right? It's its you're yeah. putting yourself into that zone.
1: I got to put my boots on. I got to put my hat on. I got to yeah. wear a nice, yeah I, yeah, I have to dress the part. And I think a lot of that is, there's there's two parts to that. Part one is, it's encouraging me to just Get out of sweats because I've been wearing sweats for the last six months. You know, get to put some <laughs> pants on, you know. Right. Uh, so there's there's a bit of that, and then the the other part is also um, we would call that my producer uh, outfit for when I was working on Animal Crackers because I'm such an introvert and be, and and because I was meeting with Sylvester Stallone and Danny DeVito and you know, I I had to pretend to be somebody I wasn't, and mm-hmm. so that's that's me cosplaying. As a fully functioning human being, and uh, so that's 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 me cosplaying.
0: That's awesome. There is a company, and I have no affiliation with them, but I think it's called Galen Leather, and they I've seen them, yeah, yeah. What they call a medic bag. And it looks very promising. Like the, yeah. the thing I had with the ones I had found was it's like, yeah, it's 150 US, which in Canadian dollars is like 600, right? <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then they wanted to charge, you know, $100 or something for, for shipping. And it was like, this is just getting crazy. But yeah. I may consider one of those Galen leather bags because uh, I love the idea of, I've, I've always struggled with that. I try to keep my kit as small as possible. And yeah. uh, I built myself a gurney easel and uh, all of that oh, kind of stuff yeah. to try and,
1: because, uh, you know. James Gurney, he's the best.
0: He yeah, I, I had him on the podcast and he was oh man. It that was the highlight of my
1: Oh Yeah. I'm jealous. <laughs> he was, yeah, I, I have uh you know, he um he you know, you can buy uh the Dinotopia books and he'll sign them with do little drawings of dinosaurs in them and everything and I wanted to buy one of his paintings. I was like, Is there any way any way I could you know I wish he would sell those. I don't care if it was, you know, Here's a pile of snow out in front of the the tire center, you know. Whatever he paints right. is just he he inspired me so much to go out and do that. He's just he, and he's prolific like you are. Like honestly, if I
0: could sit down and and I've done it for probably half a day, I've sat down watching your TikToks and I've sat down with his work on YouTube and I'm happy. I got my kit. I'm looking at both <laughs> you guys <laughs> and you're inspiring me. So oh, um, yeah, James you. Gurney is. Uh, he, I mean. You two just are kind of salt of the earth, kind of just down-to-earth guys. And, oh, thank uh thank you. I, Yeah, it's I'm, I'm so thankful that I'm able to speak to, obviously, James Gurney earlier and then speak to you now because uh, people need to hear these conversations and understand that even though you created this massive movie with all these stars, that you're still going out and just painting and drawing and enjoying I, that part of it.
1: You know, I, I, I got to do something fun but um i never wanted to be a director i never wanted to be a movie maker i just did it because no one else was going to do it <laughs> and i you know it was it was just kind of there uh, and i got lucky i mean there's a lot of luck in getting you know investment in, and to do that but at the end of the day i'm still just an artist and um i i love the idea of dying at a ripe old age of 120 or something and leaving behind just a bookshelf Full of journals and sketchbooks that just tell the story of my life, you know. And uh, I, I love that. And and I just I, I think some of my favorite movies are ones that chronicle like one person's life, like like a Forrest Gump or something like that, you know. But just mm-hmm. something that chronicles someone's life, um, and and you see them grow. And 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 I just. I look at my life as a book, and um, so I try to appreciate where I'm at, where I'm reading right now, right, and uh, try to chronicle the rest of it, so that way when it's over, I can kind of look back on that book, you know, illustrated, like an illustrated life. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I hope
0: somebody finds this podcast in the future and is able to listen to this. Yeah. (laughs) your, uh, Your journals and that. I think that would be awesome. Yeah. So, I wanted to ask you about TikTok. Like, how many followers... Do you have on TikTok now, do you know Like, you have a fair number,
1: right? It's yeah. I mean, it was two hundred and twenty thousand. I mean, if you would have asked me yesterday, it was two hundred and seven thousand. But because the the mosaic one just blew up uh, yeah. last night, um, it, it's I I, th- I think I got twenty thousand more followers, or almost twenty thousand more followers, um, in the last twelve hours. So. so yeah. Like I'm on
0: a, I don't know if you're on Clubhouse, which is Nap on the I iPhone. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: I, I can't understand it, but yeah, I joined
0: it. <laughs> There's a lot of artists on there. I think it's changed me significantly. I feel much more positive, inspired, uh, being able to just talk with these people around the world about their creative journeys. Some of them are visual artists, some of them are performers. Um, but a lot of people always talk about TikTok. We need to get on TikTok. How do you do that? Other people are yeah. coming in and saying you have to do this, that, and the other. What would your recommendation be for somebody wanting to get in on TikTok as a matter of what do you what do you think about as being successful what have you had success with and how often do you do it like how often do you post
1: Um I was posting three times a day and uh and that was art you know I could not get any traction um I think I had a painting of Jack Nicholson from the Shining that maybe had like 70,000 views and uh and so that was like my biggest one you know and i had like five ten thousand followers TikTok doesn't seem to like just here's a time lapse of you painting it wants a story and uh and so you know for someone who just wants to paint i don't have time to write a story for every single painting you know (laughs) and and uh and i tried for a while i tried like doing like the voice lines of the characters that i was painting you know from the movie or whatever and of course, what, what becomes the big thing is the, is the Swiss medic bag. That was my first kind of like, you know, I think I got like 700,000 views on that. And uh, a whole bunch of new followers because of the Swiss medic bag. And everybody's asking about the Swiss medic bag. Um, and then someone had asked, uh, oh, what do you do with the Swiss medic? Like, what do, how do you prepare? So I did the video of me sitting down in the hobbit hole right there, mm-hmm. sketching. That hit a million views. That was my first one to go to a million views. And uh, and then, of course, I was like, oh, my God, you have a hobbit hole. So then it was, okay. here's the hobbit hole. And that one's got three million views. And uh, I'm like, "Okay, I want you to focus on my art, not my Swiss medic bag, not my hobbit hole. You know, I want want to focus on my art because that but I've watched people. TikTok likes to say you're going to do this like here's this one thing you got famous for we want you to do that for the rest of your life and i've talked to like chanel uh who does the um the the harry potter once she's like harry potter's not even my favorite thing but you know she's got like a million and a half followers for doing harry potter parodies and uh and i talk to people who they're kind of stuck in this this loop of doing things that got them popular on TikTok, And so I've been purposely avoiding talking about the Hobbit hole, talking about the Swiss medic bag, um, mm-hmm. and showing off my other stuff. And fortunately the leap, the, the, the painting and leapers fork, the, uh, the Puckett's grocery, that one wound up getting a million views as well. And, uh, and then now I'm kind of finding my voice of talking about art is something. And, and, and I understand that uh, you'll see some videos with me in front of the camera, that is when I'm at my least comfortable, but that is what TikTok is looking for. And so, if I'm going to be doing this, I need to at least be in front of the camera. I need to look happy, even though I'm not. I hate this. I hate every moment of this. But I've got to at least look happy. Mm-hmm. And um, and you know, uh, so I've been doing that, and that's where this mosaic thing came up. That just you know, I posted was I. You know, I I was looking at the trend, and I was saying. I kind of want to do something about this but i want to do something with my art and so i was just writing notes for like a week or so of you know who's been my influence and what would i do and what would i show and kind of like plotting it out until i felt comfortable enough to kind of really. and it took me about maybe two hours to put the whole thing together but i think it kind of hit a right chord and i think what i would what i'm saying is don't let TikTok tock dictate who you're going to be on TikTok, tock but also let TikTok dictate who you're going to be on TikTok. In other words, you know, you're going you, to... I went down a rabbit hole and I kind of was very, very loose in saying, I'm going to keep posting art. You're not going to stop me from posting my art. But you like this? Great. Okay. You know, th- this went viral. Now this went viral. Now this went viral. But I'm putting out a little bit... Like I'll deviate a little bit to the right. I'm painting with this Swiss medic bag. Oh, you like this Swiss medic bag? Great. I'm painting in a hobbit hole. Oh, you like mm-hmm. that. I'm painting, I'm taking my car as Merelda and I'm driving here. But mm-hmm. you're still seeing my artwork throughout all of that. So I'm trying yeah. to not let it dictate I'm not going to become this this character. Like I think I think TikTok would love it if I was just like, hey, I'm dressed up as a hobbit and I'm in a hobbit hole. Like <laughs> every day, I would love it, you know. Yeah. I, that's not who I am and, and I'm not that person. So I'm making sure that my art stays front and center. But I still do have to play the part to make the algorithm see me. It has to, it has to see video of me talking about art and doing some talks where I talk about like JC Leindecker's art, or I talk about pre-Raphaelites or Art Nouveau has been good for me too, because um, I was a horrible student. I, did, I hated art history in school. And here I am now talking about it and I'm not an expert. I, 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 I don't, I'm just talking about how this work inspired me. Mm-hmm. how it affected me i'm not an art historian i'm not an expert how does this artwork inspire me and affect me and how it affects my work and i think um breaking down artwork uh is a good thing and and so i've become a bit of a jack of all trades on on uh tiktok i'm not letting it dictate who i am but i'm also uh becoming a, a more well-rounded artist because of I'm experimenting with some things that TikTok wants me to be. So I'm not letting it tell me 100% who I am, mm-hmm. but I'm letting it uh, affect me a little bit. And I, th- I hope that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it, it does. I think you're taking from it what you need and you're giving to it what it deserves. And yeah. I think that's great. And, and how has it been for business? Because you're doing commissions and things like like How is it is it because i've heard some from some people where it's like oh, it just got overwhelming like how has it been for actual it's business been you?
1: well uh, you know i mean donna my wife she she's she and i we've been working together you know for 20 years it's great because she's handling all of the orders and the shipping and the email transactions and everything and i've never sold this much artwork in my life uh i've been on social media for since twitter came around since you know uh uh, I've been on Facebook since it came around. I've been I've had my work on DeviantArt Art for I don't know how long. I've had an Etsy store. Couldn't sell artwork. Couldn't sell it. You know, we sold, I think in the last twenty four hours, I think we've sold like ten paintings. You know, wow. I've I've gotten a ton of commissions. I I think it's a it's a combination of pricing your work to where you don't feel bad giving it up. But also to where um, it's it's affordable. People can't afford. I mean, there are people who can afford two thousand dollars a painting. There's there's pieces that took me, you know, weeks to do. I I, I you know I can't just give those up for a few hundred dollars. Um, so I've formulated a way of doing a painting in forty five minutes that people would want to own for fifty dollars. So fifty dollars. Okay, if I do, I've been doing um, every day. I've been doing, let's say, two paintings a day, and let's say I sell half of those, that's 50 bucks a day, and the other half are in my store, and they'll sell eventually. It's not bad. It's a side job. It's not a full-time job, you know, because I'm writing and directing a movie, but it's a side job, and uh, I've never had this much... I've never had 220,000 people are following me. I mean, I if you look at my Instagram, and if you look at my Twitter, and you look at my face, Facebook page, I mean, I've got... 1300 people, you know, maybe 3000 people. And that's only because TikTok blew up. You know, before that it was it was 1300 <laughs> people, you know. Um and my YouTube channel I think has, you know, I don't know. I don't know how many people, 500 people at the most, you know. Okay. Um so it's it's um there's something about TikTok that is been absolutely wonderful for my art career. As an artist, I feel and this is the thing that has been the the hardest for me, my entire career is, as an artist, we just want our work to be seen. We we we're, we're we're making work to be seen as a musician, as a poet, as a writer, as a as a performer. You know, an actor. No one wants to work in their bedroom by themselves, and and no one ever sees it. I make art to be seen, so that way, hopefully, people can feel something from it. That's why I'm doing it, and and it is not um egotistical it's not for i don't do it so i get a high off of it i do it because if i was doing this for myself that's egotistical you know it, uh, you know this makes me happy and i'm the only one who's ever going to see it that to me is egotistical but i'm going to write a song so that way it makes people happy or makes people feel sad or makes but at least i i'm 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 putting art out there and i think that is why artists need to do it i mean no one builds a building or a house that no one lives in you know it's it, it you don't build a car that no one drives it's the same thing with art you need to artists need to be seen and TikTok has been the first place that i've ever had people see and appreciate my work on a consistent level and i'm just thrilled it, it made it made this last year so so wonderful for me.
0: Now you've mentioned it a few times and I'll just acknowledge the Hobbit hole because I'm seeing it in your background there. Yeah. And, um, if people want to know more about that, cause it looks beautiful what you did to that, but you've done some TikToks that will um, explain yeah, how you've yeah. converted your uh, work area into, into Hobbit hole. If
1: you go and you to TikTok and you just do hashtag Hobbit hole, you'll, it'll be the first one that comes up.
0: Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, with 3 million likes you said, it'll, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so be sure to check that out if, if you're interested in that background. But I wanted to ask you, and I'm not, I'm not trying to minimize it, but I, I want to focus on the art, and I know we want to talk about the art. Hobbit hole's incredible. <laughs> but in the last few pieces you've done, um, what's one that's been most memorable for you? Like, uh, like I watched you do the original characters from Star Trek, and yeah. that, was, that was incredible because it reminded me of my childhood. So, yeah. you know, that's the connection that I'm building up and looking at you do your work. Can you talk about a couple of pieces you've done recently and, and what they've meant for you?
1: Star Trek one really, I was really made me happy. I think it's because of the audio that I found, and because Robin Williams was supposed to—he was supposed to play Chesterfield in our movie—and and then he passed away. Um, that I feel, a, and we had we had just I just introduced the boys because they're eighteen now. Just introduced them to Goodwill Hunting. Um, but I just, the Robin Williams one, the series, which was a co- set of commissions, but the audio just makes me cry, you know? And then the, and then the, um, the Stan Lee one too, you know, cause we got to meet him and I, and, you know, he brought me Spider-Man. So I think just those were the sentimental ones, but, um, I've been doing those fuzzy Fridays, you know, with the, with the animals and, and mm-hmm. I really love the Quokkas, and, and, and the yes. Niffler. And, uh, you know, so, I, you know, I, I I think when you're only spending 45 minutes, you might go, hey, this one really turned out nice. But that's it. There's There's really, there's nothing that's going to stick with you in 45 minutes. When you spend a week or two on a painting and you step back and you go, I think I'm done, that'll stick with you for a while. And so I think, you know, you get you get what you put into it and right. uh, 45 minutes isn't enough for you to get emotionally attached, which is perfect for selling it. You know, yeah. so cause yeah. you're not emotionally attached, you know, they're not pulling it out of your hands. And, uh, and I think knowing that um, is good. So it, but, but because like someone had requested that I turn the, um, the Star Trek uh, paintings into a TikTok they, because they, they didn't get to see them during the live paintings. And, uh, and so I'm gonna do that maybe later today or tomorrow. I'll I'll, I'll put that together and I'm gonna find a, a really good line from Star Trek that'll just kind of, you know, fit well. You know, but I I um, love doing that. But I think really the stuff that I've been doing has hasn't been memorable other than when I kind of find the right line and put together a TikTok for it. Which by the way, TikTok hates those. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like oh another time lapse. Oh great Scott. You know you. Know? But and uh, That's
0: what I've been falling back to is I'm going to record everything I do now because TikTok likes it. But now I'm realizing and you really need to do more than I need to tell the story instead of.
1: Yeah. I, and, I, and I think that makes us better storytellers because that's what we are as artists. We're storytellers. I think uh, and I know I have three minute videos now, but I still love the challenge of trying to get a whole story into one minute you know like the mosaic i got it to 105 i was really upset but i was like and i and i there's there three parts that i cut out of that like there's three you know family members or inspirations or whatever that i cut out of that and uh and so i was like oh, i might do a part 2 you know but there's such a fun challenge of trying to tell a story in a minute it's it's a it's a wonderful exercise and um and i really love finding that beginning middle and end that that you can do, and uh, and I'm hoping that that turns me into a better filmmaker. You know, when 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 I start directing my next film,
0: do you have something planned?
1: Oh yeah, I'm actually um, I'm writing and directing another film. This one isn't based off of one of my books. I was hired by another studio. I can't talk about it, but yeah, sure. I, I I finished the second draft of the script. We just had our our casting uh, call today, and uh, and I might be out in london recording the cast in september so uh so that's cool yeah i still want to make my own my next movie which is either going to be pet robots or ed's Reels unless some some miracle happens i get to do the dreamland chronicles as a series but uh you know i uh but this is this is my first work for hire um okay. now that i'm a, 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 a you know the, <laughs> i've actually made a movie you know i'm, a, I'm a, right. a, a, a director um they hired me to write and direct which is really fun
0: this has been wonderful Um, now I want to go into homework because I always ask my guests for homework but before I do that I save this question for a few guests and I think it's appropriate for you so if you had the chance to have lunch with a fictional person who would that be
1: Wow fictional Sherlock Holmes would be fun but he'd be so annoyed with me (laughs) gosh that's that's a fun one I mean I could just look around the room and think see My mind is racing because, like Superman, you know, whatever, and uh, and I think, uh, well, what would be something where I could walk away with it, where it's not just a conversation, you know, someone who has powers to do X, Y, or Z, you know. (laughs) So, um, but uh, you know, I would say for because I would want it to be someone that I could learn a lot from, you know, if it's if it's you know, and um, funny, I just keep coming back to Sherlock Holmes, even if I annoy the hell out of him. I, I, you know, because, because, you know, my brain is nowhere near, you know, I, I'm i I'm, of, I'm not even Watson level, you know, uh, but I would just, if he was forced to have lunch with me, I think, yeah, uh, Sherlock Holmes would be, I, I, I would love to just, I see, I don't even know what, this is, this is the problem I had when I went to um, meet all of these actors, I didn't know what to say. I sat there, you know, we were eating soup and what you know, having lunch together, and I was just quiet. And it wasn't until because Sylvester Stallone was the last person that I got to meet. Mm-hmm. I'd had a few months of those annoying you know things. Like John and Emily are so nice and they'll talk to you and they're asking me questions. I didn't ask anything about them. I'm just not that kind of person. Like I don't think about I don't have like a list of pop culture references or hey, how how about those Mets? You know, I don't <laughs> have that small talkability. So, um, by the time I, it was about time for me to meet Sylvester Stallone, I actually wrote down a bunch of questions and it was the best, I had the best time. He was telling me stories. He was shadow boxing. He was, because I, I had pre-prepared questions. So I think if it was Sherlock Holmes, I would have to pre-prepare a bunch of (laughs) like smart questions that, you know, like whatever. But yeah, I, I think that would probably be it. Sherlock Holmes. Yeah.
0: That's great. I, I appreciate that. Now, one more question before we get into homework: What do you think's the best advice you've ever received?
1: Hmm. The first thing that comes to my mind is, and I don't know if this is the best advice, but it's the first thing that comes to my mind is, sure. uh, I was in elementary school, and all of my friends were teasing a lot, and you know, telling me to go do this, and we dare you to go do that, and we dare you to go do this and uh, and i was always getting into trouble because i just wanted to please them and uh and my mom said and i'm paraphrasing here but there's two there's two different types of people in the world there's leaders and there's followers and which one do you want to be and um and i think that empowered me not to be a leader but at least not to always follow and, uh, and so I think that, that kind of encouraged me to, at least with my art even, you know, to, to be daring and go out and try stuff. On the fly, that was <laughs> my mom.
0: <laughs> now, when it comes to homework, um, I was asked for something that the listener can walk away with and try. What do you think they should do as, as homework? What would you recommend?
1: I would say get a sketchbook and fill it up. And when you're done filling up that sketchbook, Go get another one and fill that up and draw everything. Don't draw stuff out of your head. Fill it up with people's, places, things. Learn to draw cars. Learn to draw houses. Learn to draw um, people, plants, horses. Draw everything and keep doing it for the rest of your life. And look back on those first sketchbooks after 5 years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. And you'll see. You'll see how far you've come. Um, it's like leaving breadcrumbs hmm. so you could find your way back. And honestly, I mean, could you imagine if you just woke up at the age that you are and you had no pictures of what you look like as a kid? You know, it would be really weird. You need to leave those, um, those little breadcrumbs for yourself when you're older and, and show yourself how you've improved. Uh, and the only way you're going to improve is by drawing every day. Doesn't matter what, just draw every day. Bring a sketchbook with you and just draw. Bring so you can draw with a ballpoint pen. They don't smudge, you know. Um, I would do that all the time. Just bring a ballpoint pen with me and just draw. You Could draw with a pencil. You could, you could do the watercolors and inks. But honestly, you just need to draw every day. Um, when I was in art school, we would do three hours every day of figure drawing classes, cloth figure, nude figure. We would just, and we just, you had to learn it. And uh, the only way to learn is by doing it. You can't read a book about how to draw characters. You can't read a book on how to be an artist. You have to do it. It's like it's like working out. You gotta build mm-hmm. those muscles. It doesn't matter how many books you read on working out, you're never gonna get bigger muscles from it. So draw every day.
0: I really appreciate that. And I agree. You spend a week doing it, you'll see a difference. Yeah. <laughs> you spend yeah. a month. It it just it, it almost feels exponential rather than. Yeah, more.
1: yeah. I mean I, I'm I'm looking at the the, the quality of my my art you know from january to now you know and uh it's improved so much and i just knowing it's like you know like you said with, with with uh weightlifters once they start seeing the results like they can go wow you know look at this picture of me before now look at me now they start to say imagine what i'll be a year from now And so I think the same thing, once you, once you've done it enough to where you can look back and see how much you've improved, you'll be excited to keep going and, and wonder how, I wonder how much better I can get. And, uh, and, and, and I, I, yeah, I can't encourage you enough to, to just draw every day.
0: That's cool. Thank you. That's a, that's great. I I love that homework. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to ask you, where can people find you online? I mean, we will include a link to TikTok because we did spend yeah. <laughs> a lot of time talking on that. But where else can people find you online, Scott?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I don't really have my Facebook page anymore, but there's a the Art of Animal Crackers. Uh, okay. or, sorry, the Art of Scott Sava, which sometimes the stuff from Instagram can move over to there. Uh, but uh, I also have a LinkedIn page and a YouTube page uh they're i'm pretty easy to find there's not too many scott christian savas if you look for me and uh but honestly i do 99 percent of my interaction on on tiktok because you know that's where the people are and uh and we're every morning at 9 a.m central time seven days a week we are, are doing lives and uh so that you know you can always find us there and just ask me questions happy to answer
0: well, thank you so much, Scott Christian oh, thanks, Sava, Mike, for coming on to the, the podcast. I appreciate you um, taking that hyper-focus and yeah. bringing it on, <laughs> on this podcast thank and you. sharing your stories and sharing your journey. And I, I, I think your mom is, was right. I think that uh, we'll follow your lead with a lot of this. I think that the work you're doing is incredible. I think you're going to inspire so many other artists who are either starting a bit or have been doing it for a period of time, with regard to the work that you do just on TikTok, uh, the work that you've done with Animal Crackers, and everything in between, and and the wonderful stories you've done for your kids. Um, They're lucky to have you as a dad. Oh, thank you. And I'm sure Donna's lucky to have you as a partner. So I I appreciate (laughs) being so genuine and being open and uh, sharing this time with
1: us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Have a good one. You too.
0: Okay. Show notes, including links to everything Scott and I spoke about, can be found at drawinginspiration.fm slash 54. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, share, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This will help surface the podcast for others to enjoy. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Be kind to yourself and each other, and keep drawing. Theme music for this podcast is Acid Jazz, provided by Kevin McLeod.